welcome to the show. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, you'll know that the NCF covers what's happening in education an awful lot. We have particularly been doing that lately. Uh, there's been a new report out last week, uh, which is incredibly important on this topic. It's produced by Don't Divide Us, an organization, and essentially it is called Who Are the Experts? And it's an exploration into what are known as third-party organizations. They are the people who often supply to our schools various different materials on, for example, critical race theory, gender, and all of these sorts of things. Uh, no one often seems to know who they are. Um, they will know after reading this report. I'm very delighted that the director of Don't Divide Us, Alka Stegall Cuthbert, is with me now. Thanks very much for coming. Thank you, uh, Peter. Um, thank, you. thank you as well for talking at our <coughs> conference, by the way. Um, that was absolutely lovely. Pleasure. This is incredibly important, and the timing could not be better. Yeah. Um, I said a few things in the intro there, but can you explain just these third-party organisations? How do they fit into the education system? Yeah, Sure. Well, it seems, from the work that we've done, it seems that these organizations most most of them are companies and some are charities they're companies of different stripes plcs or not-for-profits they um they so they're setting up under those rules under kind of what you would have to do to be a company but that's completely removed from anything educational or anything that if, if you like in any kind of uh, relationships of accountability to the dfe the department of education or the government more widely, they um, bypass all academic criteria and standards yep. for content that would be considered um, suitable to go into the curriculum or so suitable for schools. And they do not make it easy to be publicly accountable to parents either. So they are companies who seem, most of, the, most of them in our sample have, um, have been established since 2010. Um, and they, they offer a range of services to schools. They can come in and uh, provide training for the staff. They can come in and create a bespoke course for pupils. They can advise or, in, or take or run uh, assemblies. Um, and they, can, they provide reading lists, lists of directories of personnel who schools can go to, to um, should they wish to cover something to do with race and they don't want to do it themselves. And I think that last bit is quite a significant thing because mm. clearly what's happening is that schools and heads are feeling a pressure to be doing something about something. Yeah. <laughs> and if it's something that is politically and socially contested, which questions of race are, they don't feel confident in tackling it. It seems to me that that is, that is an important push factor in them reaching out to these organisations. You know, they don't have much time. They're busy professionals. They'll Google on, you know, EDI training, equity, diversity and inclusion training. And then they'll, they'll come up against websites and there might be logos on the websites and testimonials from academic departments yeah. or from established charities charities that have been around for a long time, or from the Department of um, Culture and Media, Culture, Media and Sports, 
um, all sorts of kind of established um, bodies, their logos or references to them will be on there. And, you know, if you didn't know, you would just think, oh, right, they must be legit. Mm. So they're kind of forming a, a very self-legitimizing, self-referential network. And basically, is it right to say that, you know, what it amounts to is that these organizations are pushing into schools something which is not, if you like, academically factually based. It's based on beliefs and a political ideology, is it not? Yes, it is. I mean, you know, the networking itself, I mean, everybody does a bit of networking and it's yeah. kind of um, quite common in academia. That isn't so much the problem. The problem is, as you say, it's the content of what they are endorsing and promoting. Yeah. And the content in terms of race is a very partisan, reductive um, set of beliefs about racism and anti-racism and racism itself, about how power operates in society and about social relationships. Uh, it's very politically reductive. It allows no autonomy for interpersonal relationships, for individual agency, for arts, for culture more, more widely, everything is about political power. Now, I would say, being a classic liberal, that there is a space for this as a speculative set of ideas with which to, you know, um, identify blind spots in established knowledge because established knowledge needs critique from everywhere to, to, to remain relevant and to progress. But that's, you know, then you're talking about a discussion between really adult citizens mm. who have developed the capacity for abstract thinking um, and can you know hold their own in a in a in an intellectual battle now what they're the proponents of this are saying but it's not just an intellectual battle this is our lives you're mm. talking about it's our lived experience and that that lived experience is being used to make generalizations which are just not warranted well, empirically or logically. You use the expression that it's re-racializing education. Yes, I think really think it is, yes. So basically uh, kids are being taught if they're white that you know they have an innate privilege, possibly therefore that they they also that they have an innate prejudice by virtue of being white. Um, I suppose you could say this, couldn't you, that it's, it's, it's as though if you just took away what they're talking about and just put Marxism there, you know, and said, and it's as though Marxism, which is, of course, a kind of theory that would actually come under discussion in any school, particularly in older school. Um, but you would never want to pass it off as being the absolute fact. But that's what they're doing really with this, isn't it? Well, yes, it is. And it's even more than just, um, it's not even limited to um, and not a question of knowledge, if you like, or passing off beliefs as fact. It's more that it's being used to change the actual ethos of a school, the yeah. actual yeah. precepts of practice, you know, actually how you... Um, so it's not, you know, it's not so much... It's really introducing this, I think, an extremely pernicious idea that um, to learn, you need to see yourself in the curriculum. And to which I would say, if that's really what you think the curriculum and knowledge is about, then you just stay at home and look in the mirror to see yourself. Because the whole point of education, going right back to Plato's Republic, has been the 
you know, never-ending search to um, find knowledge that through which we can expand our thinking, become more independent, become more confident and certain about the world that we're in and our place in it. Mm. And if you're just going to say, well, all of that is white privilege, all of that is oppressive Western civilization, you know, we need to see ourselves, our experience. What you're saying is you're reducing someone like me to my skin color. Yeah, and exactly. I'm more than that. Yes. Of course, it damages, you know, it, it instills guilt maybe in, in, without them even knowing in, in the white pupils and the sense of, you know, useless uh, oppression, you know, in, in the black pupils, you know. Um, in other words, it's damaging, isn't it, for them? I mean, yeah. what age are we talking about, by the way? What, when, when we talk about these materials, where are they going? Well, this is really saddening. Um, first of all, I must say, I'm not saying, and the report doesn't say this is happening in all schools, no, no. It, um, but the point is the underlying premises are being normalized, and this is one very important way that they're being normalized. And it is damaging uh, to all the pupils, black and white pupils, and it's being, even more horribly, suggested that really even nursery school children need to be taught to see colour. And it's very, it's very contradictory because on the one hand, the proponents of this say children as young as, you know, eight months or, you know, two years see colour, in which case you think, well, why do we have to teach it to yeah, them then, yeah, you know? So yeah. uh, I think those kind of logical int uh, contradictions really are peppered throughout their whole argument. It, sh it shows their intellectual weakness and they have no regard, they don't even seem to acknowledge the kind of damage that this can do to, you know, the spontaneous freedom that children need to develop their relationships. Yes. I mean, you, you mentioned there, you know, it's hard, presumably it is hard to, to gather quite how many schools do this, but it's safe to say, isn't it, that it's far more widespread than maybe many people realise? Yes, I think it is because, you know, I think if you're a parent or a teacher, and you're not familiar with the politics of this, yeah. you will be experiencing this in a very individuated way. So mm. you'll just see it as it's my school or it's just something this person is doing or it's just somebody gone a bit bonkers over there. Mm. But you will have no idea of the sense of the fact that it's not just a question of numbers when you're talking about influence in society. It's a question of status. Mm. and power, cultural power, not necessarily financial power always. Yeah. So this has got a lot of cultural status among the exam boards who are decolonizing their reading lists like crazy, among the professional associations who are endorsing lessons where teachers can get away with saying things like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is obviously uh, uh, George Floyd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really yeah, nonsensical yeah. Um, things yeah. like this. So the educational standards are being really flattened through this. Is it true to say that, that actually you mentioned George Floyd, has this, did that, that presumably gave this a kind of turbocharge, didn't it? Yes, yes, it, it really did. I, it gave it a turbocharge and probably crystallised race as one of the key, uh, uh, key focus point for what I think has been building up for decades actually in the educational profession, which is that, you know, the deadening creep of managerialism and a mm. technicism and the idea that the only thing that counts is what you can measure. Yeah. Um, and I think that's left 
most teachers with a sense of purposelessness. Like, what am I really doing this for? And yes. you can see that in the kind of rates of retention. Yes. And along comes this thing calling itself social justice. And I think you can understand why some would see it as quite an attractive thing to be doing. Uh, well, to give them the benefit of doubt, there's a certain amount of naivety there, maybe. Yes. You know, I mean, the people, yes. the teachers or the head teacher or whatever, gets these people in, oh, well, this is, a, presumably they're recommended, are they? I mean, how do they know? I mean, are they recommended <coughs> by the Department of Education? What? They'll be on um, websites of local education authorities. That's what our yeah. first report found. Then they'll just have to do a Google, really. Yeah, they yeah. will have to do, they are on, as it happens. I think um, Stonewall, for example, on the trans thing, has been listed as a recommended provider on government guidance. Um, and also, because of the changes in the schooling system, schools now many schools now belong to multi-academy trusts. Yeah. It's something the government wants to push out even more. Um, and that means that, you know, clusters of schools are networked in. So if one school hires that organisation and then another, you know, that could be part of a group of 10 to 20 schools. Another school might think, oh, we've got to do something on racism or anti-racism. What should we do? You know, they'll quickly consult their colleagues and they'll probably use the same yeah. provider, you know. Yeah. So, so that sort of informal um, uh, endorsements are, are going on there. But it, there's naivety. There's also, I want to push it a bit further. There's actually, I would say, real um, culpable irresponsibility on the part of successive governments mm. to take education seriously yeah. and to yeah. take the question of knowledge seriously. Because there is a really, there are sources of fantastic new knowledge of academics who've been working on how you make abstract concepts more accessible to younger children, for example. The difference is, you know, why is it that if you miss three weeks of an English lesson, you feel you can catch up quickly? But if you miss three weeks of a maths lesson, yeah. you're, really, yeah. you're really scuppered. Yeah. Now, that's not just because one is hard and one is easy. There are, you know, different knowledge structures involved. This is the things that teachers need to be educated yes. in, yeah. not how to be a good ally to black people. Yeah. Um, I've, you, at the, in the report, in the, in the back, you've got this great section, I think it's around 50, um, mm -hmm. where you have done screenshots and links to the companies, their materials, uh, their aims, and indeed the people who, you know, as it were, are the people who would train. Um, I, I'm just looking through it here. I mean, it's almost like take your pick, but one, one hit me, uh, it's one called the Black Nursery Manager. And this presumably is aimed, obviously, at nursery teachers. And uh, I'll just read this here. It says, um, this, this first session will look closely at how some of the statutory and non-statutory guidance uh, can support us to work towards anti-racist practice. We will closely examine how the Department Matters and Birth to Five Matters documents can be interpreted to support our journey towards anti-racist practice. Now, it's worth it, is it not, this is aimed at nurseries. Mm -hmm. it's, it's worth saying, isn't it, anti-racism, when they use the term, is not how we might use it in everyday language. You mm -hmm. know, it means something quite specific, doesn't it? They think it's not enough to, to say, I am not racist. You've actually got to be anti-racist. So they want to turn institutions, I know this from be, having been at City Hall, mm -hmm. into anti-racist organisations. Now, 
why is that you know to the to the to the layman looking what what is what is particularly wrong about that oh my goodness <laughs> well what is wrong with that is just just take step back and take um take a deep breath and let's just think logically what is racism it's a horrible um social fact that exists in all has existed in several societies at different times and in um in different manifests differently in britain you know we've managed to really make huge progress and in fact britain's society and culture has always allowed for quite a high level of social interaction amongst races so whatever it is it's a problem or something that belongs in the adult world because that and in the political world in particular if you're going to fight it that's not to say racism doesn't have psychological effects or it can't affect you in a personal familial way of course it does um, and it's not like the earlier generation of immigrants were unaware of that they weren't silly they weren't naive of course they knew it but it's just then they they chose not to give it such huge determining power over their lives because they saw the possibility of overcoming racism through joining forces with like-minded people irrespective of their color yeah. and persuading them this iteration so it's a problem for the adult world so if you're going to say right racist schools have to become anti-racist schools which some are saying then you are totally disregarding what is specific about schools and education mm. which is that it's an intergenerational mm. relationship and it's an intergenerational relationship between two parties who are not equals mm -hmm. so you're bypassing democratic accountability to your fellow citizens and you are undermining the very basis of education mm. so in a sort of nutshell that's why yes. i think it really has to be whatever you think about critical race theory uh, if you value education for all children you cannot allow this to, to carry on really but i suppose that when they say and it's not enough to say to say no to racism anti -ra you've got to be an anti-racist what that means is you've got to take on board their fundamental notions of white privilege yes. of innate white racism all of these things so it's it seems to me stalinist you know that they use a term that to, to the average person in the street would say well of course yes i would be anti-racist you know but they they are not aware of what actually basically yeah. lies beneath this I've, I've just got a few more here that's for nurseries um i wondered you know we have uh tell mama um again sort of the institute for Edu educational and social equity um we are the only independent tertiary level institute of its kind in the uk um you know it's we work with clients on single or intersectional concerns. It's, I mean, the very language <laughs> comes straight, or most people now would call it wokery or whatever, but it comes from a particular ideology. Yes. And I mean, yes. you know, these, yes. some of them. Also, the other thing as well is, for example, here, um, we have something called aspiring heads. Mm. Could you leverage your teaching skills to bring about change? Well, again, <laughs> it seems very, very benign. But in fact, saying, could you become an activist teacher? Yes. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Of course, as a teacher, you want to bring about change. The change you want to bring is to educate your pupils, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So that they leave better educated than when they came in. Yes. But that's not the change they're talking about. Yeah. They're talking about everything in education, everything in schools, from the assemblies to the artwork to the 
pastoral care to the curriculum itself be reorientated towards producing political activists. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the reasons, I mean, I can't tell you how excruciatingly time-consuming and painful it was to put those screenshots together, but we really wanted to do it because in that concentrated way, I think things become clearer. If oh, you were yeah. to just look at one or yeah. two, yeah. you wouldn't kind of really see the pattern that is emerging. Oh, would any of these companies in any way receive money from government? They receive monies from charities, and you know, lots of charities who may re receive money from government. One of them received a grant from the um, Depart of, departure, Depart I wish they would, depart um, <laughs> Department of Culture, Media and Sports. Right. And in fact, they received a grant even after this, this particular company had been part of the cross-government cross um, Windrush mm. Committee, Working Committee. And then when Tony Sewell's report came out, um, they wanted to, you know, let it be known how disgusted they were. This was Lord Sewell's report, wasn't it, on where he basically said, look, Britain isn't structurally and systemically racist. That's what well, he, he, he said, if you're going to make that claim, you need a higher level of proof. Yeah, yeah. And he was basically saying, which I agree with, is that there may well be pockets of discrimination and prejudice in certain sections of British society. But we will never even find that out if we carry on with this, you know, sort of blanket scorched earth approach, really. That's just lumping everything, you know, it's lumping a microaggression raised eyebrow mm -hmm. in with, you know, sort of being beaten up by racist thugs on the street. That Any theory that yeah, yeah, can't yeah. distinguish between those is not really going to be very helpful. What do you, I mean, I notice in the report, obviously, you have some recommendations. But, um, and... Uh, just give us a, what are your most important recommendations? What do you want to come out of this? Two things. One short term is that we really want, we think it is, should be imperative that the government really make the um, standard of impartiality mandatory mm. in schools and they should direct Ofsted to make that a key criteria. That is a key thing in education, you know, you, and have criteria and all these other things that schools should and shouldn't do. But if you don't have that, yes. you're not educating. And then in the longer term, I mean, it would be good also if they if there was an independent review into looking into how the aspects of the Equality Act might butt up against, in a contradictory way, the requirements of the Education Act. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is all should be work any serious Department of Education should be looking at. Exactly. Yeah? And in the longer term, I would say let's let's use our institutional history let's consider let's consider british education if you like as it was forming at its best yeah. when the majority of people were educated so that we're mostly literate illiterate nation today and that was really in the period nine, from 1944 onwards up until about you know 60s 70s say and during that period you had the central advisory committee of education that was a cross party permanent body that was there to do the serious work of, you know, the kind of work I've just mentioned, and advise governments of all, of all, you know, parties, on what would be best for education. I think we should look at something like that because otherwise it becomes a political football. There's one thing there because you mentioned the Department of Education, uh, Department of Media, Culture, Media and Sport, and indeed, you know, the various other institutions, um, and Ofsted. Isn't it a problem, Alka, that the people who populate those areas 
probably go along with this, to whatever extent. I mean, I don't mean to, sounds like I'm being very negative, but mm. it comes back at you time and time again, you know, that basically, you know, the civil servants involved or whoever else it's in, people in institutions, they're all singing from the same hymn sheet. It's a real mountain to climb, isn't it? Yes and no. Uh, it is because the, pe the point is that these people, it's a minority of people, I think, mm -hmm. actually, even in someone some, like the civil service, but they hold incredible cultural influence. And, you know, this is, this is really the role, <laughs> intentionally or not, the whole mass education, higher education at university level has produced, generate, you know, a cohort of people who really have been primed to take exactly these kinds of roles in these sorts of institutions. We can look to a, you know, a Marxist who I have a lot of time for, Pierre Bourdieu. I mean, I don't agree with all his ideas, but his, his um, analysis of the role of symbolic production in a society who, who controls the symbols and symbolic narratives is really interesting and it's very pertinent to what's happening today. So they have, um, you know, it's not a conspiracy. It's just, what would you do? You come out of a university with, you know, some kind of degree on social justice in Hollywood cinema of 1958 onwards. Um, what are you going to do with that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. That, you know, you create all these departments within departments are yeah. created and there's no accountability even within those departments. So that just breeds mistrust, you know, and our public institutions are then corroded of the kind of ethical heart that made them something that was, has been, you know, been admired internationally. I suppose the other thing as well, something I'm always banging on about, is that parents themselves have really got to become more aware, haven't they? I mean, I'm, yeah. I, st I still think, sometimes I think the penny's dropped, other times not, you know, yeah. because we talked about it in relation to the gender ideology. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's hoping. Um, it's a great report. Thank you very Thank much you. for talking about it, Alka. Don't, uh, don't divide us. It's their report. Who are the experts? Pretty much tells you who they are. Um, Presumably people can go on and just look at this on the website, on your it website. It is on the website, yes. So yes, dontdivideus.co.uk or? Dontdivideus.com. Dot com. Yeah. There you go. Now, um, we'll sign off now, but we've got a few questions to ask you for our exclusive, for our members. Yeah. If you wouldn't have. Go for it. Yeah. But that's it. Thank you very much, Al. Um Thank That's you. it for the show this week. We shall see you next time. Thank you. Bye. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as three pounds per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember, also click the bell icon 
so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.